Lightly Literary Podcast, the only book club podcast that would literally spend its entire life savings to get some of that fluffy, soft, delicate, you know, it's faintly kind of fragrant, beautiful, (laughs) white rice. Doing anything for the white rice, Amanda. Anything for it. I mean, it's tasty. I can't can't blame them. Nations have been (laughs) fought over. Borders have been disputed for the conquest of white rice so good (laughs) i mean it it may be soon an unethical food given the water consumption here's my thing here's my science take can't we just convert salt water already have we not done this how how, how do we not know how to do this it's how is desalination not efficient yet it's like the number it it would fix uh, massive problems (laughs) like huge problems well anyway i guess we'll find out in the next 40 years if it's as difficult to desalinate the ocean as we think (laughs) is that the right (laughs) term too is it desalinate anyway yeah i think so and and it's they have a process to do it i think i I think i I remember briefly seeing an article about it it's just but it's just that it's it's costly and it's like it consumes so many resources in order to do it right now so it's like yes right not not feasible yeah scientifically not the most urgent matter i get that but if global warming takes our white rice amanda devastating it'd be heartbreaking Uh, it it really would be i mean my entire diet would have to change (laughs) (laughs) brown rice perhaps (laughs) yeah Yeah, no it's true no substitute for the white for the good stuff if you have no idea why we were discussing the grand culinary importance of white rice that is okay is because you've stumbled upon a book club episode these are analytical deep dive episodes and if you've never listened to the podcast before welcome we are as i mentioned the lightly literary podcast we have an instagram and facebook account uh, i guess those are accounts plural but anyway we have those under that same handle so follow us there it's just at the lightly literary podcast all one word so check us out there again our book club episodes are analytical deep dives today will be an episode on the first half of pachinko a novel by uh, see and i put the book down is it min jin lee it is Okay, good. I could. I thought I had it off the top, but I wasn't certain. So today we'll be discussing the first half again of the novel Pachinko by Min Jin Lee. If you're going to be reading along with us and are spoiler sensitive, we're going through book two, chapter 10. Is that right? Yes. Because it is labeled in books. I had to double check that too. This is a longer novel yeah. that's split up into parts. Those parts are called books. And so we've read it basically almost directly halfway, but it's, yeah, book two, chapter 10. I think I read through chapter nine, so I might be off by one. So oh, that's, that's right. okay. Yeah, I've, yeah, I read through 10. Yeah. No big deal. Not a huge deal. Um, yeah, so we'll be spoiling the first half of the book. Should we do content warnings? Actually, before that, uh, let's back up here. You chose this book, and I know we don't normally do a full rundown of why you picked it on the book club episodes, but let's do a brief one. Uh, why'd you pick this one? Um, I, I chose this one, actually, because it was uh, recommended to me by my my cousin um, mm-hmm. um, on my Korean side, so um, she knows my love for, for Korean um, literature, Korean-American literature, and then... Um, there was I was like man I really want to read this book and I want to read it with Travis because I want to know what Travis thinks about it but it's really long <laughs> yeah um, we normally don't yeah. do anything over I, we don't really have a hard limit in the past it's kind of been 400 pages is kind of our hard limit and this one creeps up to five I don't think it gets to yeah. 500 it doesn't quite um but there's like um a tv series being made and stuff, yeah, it was so well reviewed yeah, so I thought, well, this would be great. Like, 
And, and after I read this, I'm going to watch the show and see how it compares. Exactly. <laughs> and now is our chance. It's a perfect opportunity. And doing a something that ties in well with a popular show, or at least a well-reviewed show, I, I like that idea. That I'm pro. Yeah. I'm also really not against doing books this long, but given our reading schedule and the pace we do these, if you're, again, a first-time listener, we do our book club episodes every week, essentially. So we have to finish the book in two weeks and record and everything. And yeah, for 500 pages, I don't know. Maybe I'm a slow reader, or maybe I just don't dedicate the time necessary. <laughs> Got to recommit to reading, I guess. But this feels okay so far. Nothing, nothing wrong with the pace we've had. Um, yeah. Content warnings for the first half of this book. Just some descriptions of people being ill and diseased and suffering. There's some violent imagery, but no acts of violence. Right? Am I forgetting? Like there's descriptions uh, of people being like mutilated or burned, but not really the yeah. situation. Um, yeah. And then there are some sexual things that happen, but no sexual violence. So just, you know, other other types of romantic engagement <laughs> encounter. Right. Anyway, right. any content warnings I missed? I don't think so. Excellent. Well, let's dive into it. If you're a dedicated and longtime listener, then the following transition will be a shock because I have given <laughs> up, folks. I, I quit. <laughs> I had to call call in an, an audible for this week in this book. Uh, we are not doing the format we've been doing for a while. Uh, that was an attempt to make the podcast more listenable for people who don't read the books. And it just broke me. I just cannot write more plot <laughs> summaries. I do not want to talk about books in chronological order. It's just not a thing that I enjoy. <laughs> so we're going to switch back to an older format for today's book club, um, which, again, if you're a longtime listener, maybe you remember, you know, I don't know, 20 plus books ago, we used to do it this way, where we just have planned segments. So the podcast will be organized around different segments. We'll make it very clear when we're switching to a new segment and kind of discussing something different. If you have not read this book, then yes, this format will be probably more confusing <laughs> because we'll not be following a strict story order and summarizing the plot as we go. So just a heads up about that if that if you're that kind of listener but our expectation has always been that you would read with us and it's of course not demanded that's wild if you enjoy the discussion we hope you listen but i just yeah that it's it's on me totally amanda was doing just fine with it i just going back and doing those plot summaries i just could not get up for it anymore i have to <laughs> i had to make a change um however there's one concession we will make amanda and that is the 60 second summary challenge so our first segment try is going to be to set a timer for one another um i guess i'll go first it only seems fair since i made this idea up <laughs> uh that i would try yeah. first um the sure. other person that's amanda here is going to set a 60 second timer and uh, give me some warnings maybe 30 and 10 just maybe say the number or something just so i know how sure. i'm doing but the challenge is that the person will summarize the half of the book that we read for today's pod so today that will be pachinko by minjin lee and that'll be the first half so i'm going to try and summarize it in 60 seconds this is designed not only for a bit of a, a challenge to see how bad i fumble especially names which i'm not i can tell you not right now i'm not doing any names i'm just going to say person a and describe them in some you know vague way anyway um not only that, but also, yeah, if you're, again, a listener, we appreciate you, even if you haven't read the book. Maybe this will be enough to give you, like, a broad sense of story beats, just so you don't feel confused for the entire rest of the discussion in the podcast. Was that a, a thorough enough setup? Yeah. Okay. And then, yeah, the 60-second summaries. Um, I, maybe you say the word go is how we'll do it. Do you have a timer? You feel ready? I'm. Yep, I feel ready. Okay. Um, and ready? Then, uh, you just, yes. Yeah, so you say the word go, and I will start. Okay. Ready? Set. Go. 
Okay, there's a family who lives on an island outside of Korea off the coast. There, the man has a he's crippled, but he's really nice and humble, and marries a woman. Uh, it's a blind marriage, and they have a daughter. The story is mostly about the daughter of that marriage. The daughter grows up also very humbly, very in a rural area, and one day meets a man in a market and is taken by that man. Not literally, she just is impressed by him. He's very handsome. He looks very rich and put together. And eventually, he saves her from um, some bullies, and then they have a romantic. Seconds. They have a romantic relationship, and they have sex, and they have a kid and she wants to be with him but he doesn't want to be with her because he has a family this is just a side thing for him but he wants to take care of her eventually they have to move to Japan because of the war and the economy Korea is being invaded by Japan and is being attacked by the Japanese and occupied by the Japanese the Japanese discriminate against all the Koreans in the story as well well that's a bit of a generalization not really so this girl moves there with her now husband who's a priest who I forgot about until just now (laughs) not even remotely close I'm gonna, it's going to take some training. It's going to take like 10 podcasts for me to get good at doing that. Okay. <laughs> okay. So now Amanda will be up. She also has to, she doesn't get to pick up where I left off. She has to do the whole story oh, as well. <laughs> yep. That's the challenge. All right. And then after we Got both it. do our timed, we will fill in. If we feel like we left something out, we'll, you know, we're not just going to move on blindly. Um, are you mm-hmm. ready? I'm ready. Okay. Ready, set, go. Sunja is um, from Yonggi-do, which is an island in Korea. It's a very small town. Um, She has a dad who had some uh, birth defects, so she never expected to get married. But then Hansu woos her, doesn't marry her. She gets pregnant. She ends up marrying Isaac, who is um, a Christian from North Korea, Pyongyang. And he moves her to Osaka, Japan, where they move in with his brother, Yosef, and his wife, Kyungi, who cannot have kids. Um, Isaac gets wrapped grabbed up in some uh, political stuff, um, not by his choice, and is imprisoned for several years while um, uh, Sunja and Yosef have to raise the kids by themselves. Um, he eventually dies when he makes it out of the prison, and then they um, the World War II starts up and they leave Osaka Ten. because Hansu comes back into their life and sends them off to a farm where they farm, and then after the end of the World War II, they move back to Osaka and they are trying to figure out whether Ten. to go to Korea or stay. That was good. That was w- that was way closer. <laughs> that was way better than mine. Yeah, you got really close. Um, do you want to start with again? We won't just jump out randomly. I want to clear this up for anyone who's listening and hasn't read. Do you think we miss anything major? You almost got everything. I mean, it was fast, of yeah. course, but you you got yeah. close. Yeah, I would just say like the biggest thing that I I kind of glossed over was like Sunja also is like struggling with the with the money the money struggles and also making yeah, sure that right. the education is there for her boys cuz she also has another kid yes with, with so. is it you're going with Isaac or Isaac Isaac cuz they're both Isaac. um so it's, there's Joseph with which is the way that they say Joseph Joseph right yeah Isaac Noah Moses which they call him Mozazu gotcha all bi- all biblical names makes sense. Yeah, I was going with Isaac myself, but I wasn't quite certain. Yeah, no, I think the only thing we really missed is like, so she has this affair with Hansu and has a child with him. He wants to take care of her, but won't let she won't let him because of her pride. And she she imagined like a, a life with him, and he can't give her that, obviously. And then yeah, I just wanted to go back over like that. She marries this very quickly. Marries this priest or preacher who's a it's Presbyterian, right? 
think? We don't know if it's Presbyterian. He's just Protestant. Oh, Protestant. That's so I don't a, know. Yeah. yeah, big category. And so, yeah, they get married pretty quickly, and that's how she ends up in Japan with, like, his family. You covered that well. Kyung, Kyung-gi, is it? Kyung-gi? Mm-hmm. Kyung-gi, Kyung-gi is there, and they, they become fast friends. Um, and then, yeah, the only other things is they end up helping make money, which obviously bothers uh, Yosef a lot. He is a traditional patriarch who does not want them to have to work, and they should just tend to the home. But anyway, they end up doing pretty well with that. As it turns out, probably the only big twist we haven't covered from part one is that Hansu has been watching her her entire life in Japan and like shadow in the shadows, <laughs> manipulating things that like he got her a job and she didn't know that he watches her kids sometimes to make sure they're safe and healthy. He knows who their teachers are. <laughs> so it's like he has been monitoring her and has known she's here this whole time, um, which I thought was kind of the only plot twisty kind of thing this book has done. Like, that's really the only kind of shock or surprise. I mean, there's tragedies that happen that we also kind of skated over in the summary. But anything else? Yeah, that's that covers what I feel like should have been mentioned and I didn't get to. Yeah. um, The only thing would be, I guess, pointing out that uh, Isaac, when he went to jail, it wasn't something that he did himself. It was because um, the 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 guy um, that was adopted by. the main preacher uh, i think it was like pastor you right was the main dude mm-hmm. and then there's um his adopted son um was saying a prayer during um like temple time not temple um but they had to do like yeah, this imperial thing yeah where they had to like bow to the emperor and they were supposed to like say a, a certain like litany for the emperor and instead of Mm -hmm. doing that he was like saying the lord's prayer under his breath and so they were jailed for that right yeah brutal conditions he ends up dying from it too and so at the point we're at in the story she is she's alone with her two boys but hansu wants to look after them and there's still debate there whether you know Uh how much he should be involved and and Yosef was in um, Nagasaki, right? And so he had some very serious burns and has become an alcoholic as a yeah. result because he feels very serious person. Yeah, he can't he can't provide the way that he used to because of the pain. Yeah, that's of course a, a bit of an ironic twist in a sense because he actually dodges the bomb, but then gets burned by like a. Um, a like falling a falling debris or something. or something. Yeah, it's like yeah. he gets burned by something else later. So yeah, yeah. So anyway, yeah, I think we did okay with the summaries. Yours was extremely good, very close. You like <laughs> almost got the whole thing in too. <laughs> so yeah. yeah. Um, any other thoughts on in the just in case of the, we miss anything in the summary? I think we did okay. And obviously, now that we get yeah. into our analysis, we'll you know be discussing other things as we go. But yeah, I think we're good. Excellent. Well, let's do some segments. Then we're going to get to our next part, which we used to do, and we'll rely on again now the quotes for clarification. So each of us has chosen a few segments of the text that we want to discuss for any reason. So not plot summary-wise, just open-ended discussion, whatever we want to bring up. I guess I'll go first, uh, because I will say it underscores what I think works and doesn't work about this book for me. So maybe I'll hit, I'll go with a broad quote, you know, to start with. And um, I'll try not to read the whole page. The page kind of itself matters. So this is when Hansu and Sunja first have sex, when they're first like together in the forest. Uh, A nice setting for that. But here's a couple of quotes from this page. It says, Hansu moved toward her. She could smell his soap and the winter green of his hair wax. He was cleanly shaven and handsome. She loved how white his clothes were. Why did such
such a thing matter? The men at the boarding house could not help being filthy. Their work dirtied all their things, and no amount of scrubbing would get the fish smell off their shirts and pants. Her father had taught her not to judge people on such shallow points, and she goes on. It says, Hansu slid his hands beneath her short traditional blouse, and she did not stop him. He untied the long sash that held her blouse together and opened it. Sunja started to cry quietly, and he pulled her toward him and held her, making low, soothing sounds, and she allowed him to comfort her as he did what he wanted. He lowered her on the ground tenderly, and there's a quote, and it says, he had his hands firmly under her buttocks the entire time, and though he had tried to shield her from the twigs and leaves, bits of the forest had made red welts on the backs of her legs. When they separated, he used his handkerchief to clean the blood, and then he says, your body is pretty, full of juice like a ripened fruit, and um, says, Sunja couldn't say anything. She had suckled him like an infant while he was moving inside her, doing this thing she had witnessed pigs and horses doing. She was stunned by how sharp and bright the pain was, and how grateful that when the ache subsided, and then, you know, some sweet quotes from him. He calls her his dear girl, and it ends. So, I guess, here's the analogy I was thinking of. I was trying to think of a way to explain this. Um, And this quote, I think, demonstrates some of the stylistic and, like, storytelling things. This book almost feels too... It's like a strike, um, or it's like a fastball pitch in baseball that's like, it's almost too good, or not too good, because I I think I wish it was a little more daring or had a little bit more jagged parts. It's a little too safe feeling to me sometimes, like the style. Um, that's That segment with some of its short clip sentences and how it brushes over, now granted, I think intentionally since... It's consensual, but she's a virgin and also never, she clearly never thought this would happen. So it's also, there's some, I think there's supposed to be that element of like, she's probably pretty overwhelmed and confused even. And obviously she's, you know, there's pain to it that's covered, but it all just feels like it wants to touch something, but then back away from it at the same time. Um, The other things that jumped out, and I didn't pull quotes for these moments, but like, when he, when Isaac's in prison, we're, we never get a scene of him in prison. We just get the aftermath of it. And then there's an, oh, what was the other character beat that's like that? But there, there's another thing like that where it's like, oh, that's, that would be really intense. But she just doesn't narratively kind of go there. And this quote, obviously it went there. I mean, it's it's their intimate moment. It, like it's, it's a full scene. But a lot of those descriptions, like I feel like it just kind of like ducks around things that... I feel like a more bold or intense book wouldn't have ducked. Um, I don't think it's it's like harming the book because it's interesting. The characters are deve- well developed and the history I'm really enjoying, but it almost feels like too clean a thing. Like, and again, I, in my mind, I like visualize that like strike type of pitch because it's like, well, the ball's not doing anything interesting, but it is going right where you want it to go. <laughs> and that's how a lot of this book feels where I'm like, this book is good. It's like doing the things that I find interesting for a book to do. But sometimes with the writing, I'm like, well, that was just a bit too, not direct, but like a bit too simple or clean. So that that's my first quote. Yeah, even even with the death of Isaac, it's just stated that he died, but yeah. there's no real description of that. And and that goes in, I think, with the overall style um, of the, the book where I I immediately picked up on like the very simple sentences. There there's not a whole lot of description, which makes when she does do any description, it really stands out. And I think that it's meant to kind of read like a, a folk tale almost. I can um, see that. Yeah, where it's it's something that's like passed down almost orally, so you don't get a whole lot of when you have uh, something like that. You don't get a whole lot of description. It's more about yeah. the story beats and stuff. Um, and it's 
uh, with folk tales too. There are some gruesome parts, but you're not trying to describe it because a yeah, lot right. of the time, you know, you're passing that on to kids. So that's yeah. how I've been kind of reading that. Is is it's it's almost like a, a modern day folk tale. I don't think you, I think you nailed it there because I don't think it is moralizing, but I do think it's written in a way that uh, if you were to moralize something, you would write it kind of in this direct, clipped like. Kind of like approaching uh, daring, controversial types of moments, writings, whatever, but then just like not fully kind of going in, so, so to speak. So, yeah, it's and it's like even that scene, too. I think it had a couple observations that I found like interesting and that added kind of richness to it with the forest floor. And even, even frankly, like the part the, during the actual sex, it's it's respectful and, and fine, and it doesn't need to be. I don't need some 10 paragraph, you know, <laughs> really poorly written, whatever it would have been. Um, though I don't, mm-hmm. I'm sure she would have been fine with it but no it's like i don't need that either but i do think this book is ducking some things like that to kind of just keep things moving um which you know all the all the more power to it i also don't read a lot of historical fiction that is this big in scope too it's kind of this epic right so i can get sometimes why scenes cut off where i'm otherwise thinking man i would love if you would have indulged a bit you know if you would have really kind of gone in but um but yeah that's that's my first quote how about for your first one Um, Mine is actually the very first sentence um, in the book, which is, history has failed us, but no matter. That's the very first line. And I was like, oh, that's a really interesting first line. Like, uh, my my question going into it after reading that sentence is, well, who is the us then? The history has failed us. So is it going to be like this one narrator, which it's turned out, you know, no. Uh, Right. (laughs) um, Is it us as in like the korean people yeah is it just the people from that time or is it like everybody like all of us so that's something that i'm keeping in the back of my mind as i continue to read and i'm just not sure that i have an answer yet for that sure did it attribute that quote to anybody i don't even remember no, that's the just the very first sentence in the whole book like oh after, just narrated after that quote. yeah yeah gotcha. it's the yeah so it's the very first line. <laughs> Fascinating. Yeah. No, I think uh, to me so far, I think this book is leaning heavily to that quote is about Korea, like the mm-hmm. nation and its people, even how vague, even though this book makes it clear that like because of imperial takeover and ba- border things and like it's <laughs> I mean, obviously, you know, if you're born in Korea, then that is a pretty clear identity marker. But I even think yeah. some of these characters by the end are going to be extremely confused about wh- who they are. <laughs> you know, it's like, where do I belong? That's like a key kind of thematic thing in this book, I think. Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. So the my interpretation for that, though, so far is the nation of Korea, which is really getting, you know, pushed back and forth between influences in the book. Yeah. Characters reflect that, too. Who do, uh, you, do you have an answer for the quote? I'm not sure. I It could be Korea. It could be anybody um, during that time. People who are Korean born, but like not from, didn't live in Korea. And I don't know. It's... Hmm. I don't know. I it's don't know difficult yet. to parse. <laughs> we'll see. I mean, it'll yeah. matter. I'm sure how this book decides to end, what country we're in, where people move to or don't move to. I mean, that can all have an influence on how, where this book ends up. 
Mm-hmm. Um, my next quote is the first time they're in Osaka. So this is when Sunja and Isaac moved there to start his practice or not, but we don't call it practice. What do they call that? <laughs> I guess he's practicing. He's a you know priest or he's going to work in the church. His calling? Yeah, he begins his work. I don't know. Yeah, he's just working at a little destitute um, Protestant church. Um, This is a a paragraph, though, about the home they're going to stand. It says, The exterior of the house belied its comfortable interior. Um, Kyungi, who'd grown up in a household with many servants, had taught herself to keep a clean and inviting house for her and her husband. They owned a six-mat house with three rooms for just the two of them, which was unheard of in this crowded Korean enclave, where ten could sleep in a two-mat room. Nevertheless, compared to the grand houses where she and her husband had grown up their house was absurdly small not fit for an aging servant the couple had bought the house from a very poor japanese widow who had moved to seoul with her son when kyungi arrived to join yoseb uh, or yosef in yoseb actually in osaka there are many different kinds of Koreans in Decano, though they had learned to be wary of the deceitfulness and criminality among them and then some quotes so here's a tidy little metaphor, I think. So this has come up a bunch of times in the story. It ca- it comes up when she's in the boarding house initially, um, her being Sunja. It comes up when they have to live in the barn later in the Japanese farm when they're the countryside to run from the war. It is very much a story, and I think this also, again, reflects the style in a way that I don't love but I respect. It, it's all very, like, although there's chaos, the writing remains kind of neat and tidy and kind of just, like, very even. <laughs> and, like, this obviously I think does a lot of uh, symbolic sort of work with the characters too where it's like man their lives are you know objectively heinous at times but also their reactions are always pretty level and pretty even and they're not really freaking out (laughs) even though they could and they're not really melting down and even when they do I think there's one scene where Kyungi cries quite a bit but like it's a sentence you know it's like she and then she wailed or something but that's it there's no no really huge things when when her husband devolves into alcoholism there's no like lengthy scene of him stumbling drunk and doing something really insane or really unhinged or really gross. It's just him, you know, just deteriorating. And I think this quote, again, it, it works on the characters, I think, in a reflective way. But to me, it was also like, oh, yes, this book feels this way to me, too, which just kind of like on the outside, if I were to say the plot of this story, it's like, whoa, that sounds really intense. But I think the book has made it feel really kind of like just tidy in a sense. I don't know if that analogy works. <laughs> no, I think it does. Yeah. And uh, that's, I really like that you picked that quote because yeah, it's, it's the, the seediness of the outside, but the, uh, the comfort on the inside, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's a very, do you, I don't know, it's a do really we think maybe image. my reaction to that is because Sunja as a character is like quite upstanding. And maybe that's it, too, is why I feel like this story, despite the stories, again, like objective horrors, it does feel like it's kind of humming along in a comfortable way, which feels weird to say. But the stylistically and even kind of plot or more character wise, it just really does kind of I don't know. It feels I could see why people would feel kind of like comforted by this in a weird way. It's I don't know. Yeah, there's a strange element to it that I hopefully that analogy helped to explain. <laughs> but it maybe yes. too. It's Kasunja is just such like a I don't even know if root for is the right phrase, but she's just kind of such a you see what you get and what you get is like a very humble person who's just going to work and like be kind and help everyone always kind of like it's not there's she doesn't really have a twist. Even the affair thing, it's like resolved in her pretty quickly to just like not dwell on it and move on and. I don't know. It's interesting. Uh, what, what's your read on her? Yeah, she's um, she actually is is really interesting um, as far as the 
what I chose as like my uh, motif, which is also I think probably more like the the one of the major themes that I've I've picked up on is just um, survival and the need for survival. And she's always yeah. going to survive. She's always going to truck along. She's going to figure out a way somehow to do it. And and the way that she does it too is uh, without offense. She's not. Yeah, she's still doing it in like an honorable way yeah it's like that pitch i think of again it's just just straight down the middle it's just like i'm just gonna go you know forge right ahead very direct it's just like i'm just gonna do it the most direct clear basic way i can (laughs) it's kind of her whole vibe you know and i'm wondering too if there's gonna be a point where she's gonna not be able to do it in in an honorable way and she's gonna end up having to kind of like do some seedy things in order to to survive i guess she kind of considers the fact that she does accept some from some help from hansu might it's distasteful to her and she doesn't want to do it but she also accepts it <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah that's good that's a good way to put it too how about another quote for you um for me i chose so i i we spoke a little bit about like the the very straightforward writing that we have and very little description. So one of the first times that we actually see any description is on page 26 when she sees Hansu. Um, Sunja looked up and saw the new man in the light-colored western suit and white leather shoes. He was standing by the corrugated tin and wood offices with all the other seafood brokers, wearing an off-white Panama hat like the actors in the movie posters. Ko Hansu stood out like an elegant bird with milky white plumage among the other men who were wearing dark clothes. And then it goes on and on. And Her angel. Also, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and, also just, and it also kind of ex- gives some um, description of, of how things work on the dock, which is you have to pay off the <laughs> the fishermen have to have a, a a good relationship with the dock managers because they're the ones yeah. who control the money and also control like who buys and everything so um but that that paragraph really stood out to me first of all because it was the first big paragraph that i that i had seen in the book mm-hmm. and yeah. um it was the most descriptive and i thought it was really interesting too because it was um a description where it was very vivid of both this person who's obviously going to be important in her life, um, but also that there was some, like, exposition to explain the culture at that time. Yeah. Um, which we don't really get beforehand. Um, so I just thought yeah. that stood out to me, and and, um, and I was like, oh, okay, so I know immediately that Kohansu is going to be pretty important. And that's also how I knew Isaac was going to be important, is because he also was described. He's very handsome, uh, very elegant-looking. Um, that's true. They do, despite his like objectively low station, I guess economically low station, they do mm-hmm. also remark upon that, too. He's very tidy and like clean yes. and keeps, keeps himself... Mm-hmm kind of organized and and respectable yeah did you like that hansu's real moment is beating up some bullies for her what's what's your read on that that's a bit traditional i feel like in terms of narrative kind of motivation or something like that Mm mm-hmm well he would have to do something in order to get her attention to get her to speak to him and that was the way to do it right Mm -hmm. so yeah i was not surprised that it was 
that kind of like I feel like that's kind of a common trope especially in like almost like rom-coms do a lot of that where they're like yeah, yeah. there's a damsel in distress and and the guy comes to to save her so I was like okay yeah that's just another trope but it didn't bother me necessarily I, I knew that it ha- somehow something would have to happen in order for them to speak yeah definitely and it's you know it's heavy-handed maybe as a kind of a plot beat but it you know effective too especially given her kind of quiet existence and yeah she was never gonna she's never gonna like reach out to him or or make a connection or whatever um excellent uh my final quote i feel like is one of the uh, it's one of the only times when the book has really um i don't know if i would say gone for it or something but it's it gives us a real demarcation for hansu anyway it's his speech he gives his friend his friend kim who works for him and operates the restaurants Mm -hmm. because he really just he really just lays it out it's kind of i don't think any character has gotten such a clear not cathartic moment but kind of a philosophical you know here's what i'm about moment so let's uh read i'm not i don't want to read the whole thing it's kind of long on 229 but i'll read most of it he says never not really i'm a businessman and i want you to be a businessman and whenever you go to these socialist meetings i want you to think for yourself and i want you to think about promoting your own interests no matter what all these people both the japanese and the koreans are fucked because they keep thinking about the group but here's the truth there's no such thing as a benevolent leader i protect you because you work for me if you act like a fool and go against my interests, then i can't protect you as for these korean groups you have to remember that no matter what the men who are in charge are just men so they're not that much smarter than pigs and we eat pigs you lived with that farmer tamaguchi who sold sweet potatoes for obscene prices to starving japanese during a time of war he violated wartime regulations and i helped him because he wanted money and i do too he probably thinks he's a decent respectable japanese or some kind of proud nationalist don't they all he's a terrible japanese but a smart businessman i'm not a good korean and i'm not a japanese i'm very good at making money this (laughs) this country would i have to read that i was gonna stop there but i can't this country would fall apart if everyone believed in some sam crap the emperor does not give a fuck about anyone either so i'm not going to tell you to not go to any meetings or know any groups but know this i guess i am just gonna read the whole thing (laughs) but know this those communists don't care about you they don't care about anybody you're crazy if they you think they care about korea so Mm -hmm. i mean we've seen characters in this book operate in their own interest in in various moments is uh, isaac is probably the only character who has real moments of um well, I don't know, though. All, all the women kind of do, don't they? I mean, granted, for some of them, it's like relationship connection. Like, she cares for her husband, Kyungi, because she loves him and is married to him. And, like, Sunja does it for her mother at a family obligation. Also, it's her job. Um, but we've never seen a character lay out their philosophy about life as clearly as him here. Um, it's also some of the only swearing in the book. Might, might be noteworthy yeah. for that reason too which does give him you know rhetorically i guess compared to the other characters it, it does mark him as a person who is going to operate with a certain intensity that the other characters may not be able to achieve what do you what do you make of his uh, outline here because this is kind of an outline for him it is and i think that it's um it was really insightful into him as a character because at first we're kind of like how 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 do we even take this guy because he's he's married he's having affairs like several affairs apparently um he wanted to take care of sonja and then he like disappeared for a while and and yeah. now he's back and he's like kind of stalkerish but because he wants to take care of them um and and he's very just you know pragmatic in a lot of ways and apparently he's um uh, <laughs> the 
I guess the Japanese call them Yakuza, and in Korea it's yeah. called Gangpei. Yeah, so he's like a gangster, but like... That's only uh, been hinted at, but yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it's... He's meant to be this, like, character that's like... You, you don't know whether to admire him or hate him. And that speech just makes it all the more like, right. do I hate him for that? Do I admire him for like getting it done? Like, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it's I think I mean, anybody whose worldview is uh, the self is all that matters. No group matters. This is a man who his entire life is dependent on his stepfather, <laughs> uh, which is yeah. kind of an interesting thing that keeps getting alluded to and is never fully, you know, clarified. Um, we don't know how he got into that relationship also. Right. Do we like his, his Japanese wife and has that connection? Cause that does seem to be the actual money man in his life. The person, yeah, his father-in-law, yeah, he, he yeah. is not the top, top dog. Yeah, yeah. Um, although he's like, he was officially adopted by his father-in-law, so that's why his name um, is, um, his Japanese name is his father-in-law's family name. Right. Um, but yeah, I think I, I think that he was like, because he was a petty criminal for a while uh, growing up after the, his father moved him to Japan. Yes, so I guess that's right. how he got involved with all that. So it is a it is a fascinating thing. It's also interesting to say that like he basically he establishes a chain of self-interest that every person is self-interested so their dependence will work out of their self-interest too. It's strange that you can't just apply that same logic to like a government apparatus and be like, if we make things, you know, if we make it so that they benefit them, so, yeah, I don't know. It's just a strange. I mean, it's. I think it's good. It's a good clear moment for him. And up until then, he'd been kind of an enigma in the story. So it's an right. extremely important moment too, because we don't really get alone time narratively. Though it is a narrative that obviously jumps point of view. So, but yeah, mm -hmm. I thought that was a pretty significant one. I I have to assume he will remain influential. He basically dictated the second half of this i guess the the, the middle quarter of this book <laughs> because he yeah. you know moved them around and financially covered for them and everything else and so i just have to assume his influence will stay pretty large yep i think so and i think mozatsu is uh is gonna be like yeah almost an adopted w son to him one of the great ironic twists right that his own son <laughs> yeah. is like the fight you know there's a real nature nurture twist <laughs> like a real yeah. aggressive nature nurture twist i guess it's not really that aggressive it's basically all nurture theory then <laughs> it's like well yep. you know even though it's his father's son he was not raised by it yeah so yeah i'm very curious about that too um <laughs> how about your final quote um mine is from page 153 um, and it says here, the minister would be held for a very long time. This is when um, Isaac was in jail. The minister would be held for a very long time. These religious activists always were. In times of war, there had to be crackdowns against troublemakers for the sake of national security. It was pointless to say any of this. However, Koreans caused trouble, then made excuses. Uh, so I chose that quote because I was like, so religion is... A national security measure, like what? Yeah, That's, yeah. It's, but you know, also, um, like after nine eleven, like there was a whole thing against you know, uh, Muslims and and people who um, like it seemed like they were from the Middle East and everything. Like there was so much bigotry surrounding that. Um, totally, but 
with like Christianity and in Japan, it's, it, they see it as this evil because it's a Western influence because it's not, um, it's not an Eastern religion, right? It's, of course, it's not, yeah. yeah. It's not Shintoism. It's not um, Taoism. It's not uh, Buddhism or anything like that. So, right. But I thought that was pretty interesting, and also like Christianity is kind of a big thing that they keep coming back to in this book and yeah especially in the beginning since we start in kind of a really rural area of korea it's meant it's played up to be that and so to them it's kind of an it's not really fascinating to them it's more of a neutral force they're just like oh what's this you know strange thing i have to know about now (laughs) Um, yeah (laughs) yeah it doesn't it doesn't feel worrying i guess is how i'd put it right um and then the last line where it says that you know all koreans cause trouble Right, caused right. trouble, then made excuses. Um, it's it's an interesting take because the the Koreans here are not um, they're not made to look completely innocent, right? It's it, the Min Jin Lee as a writer is not trying to portray the Korean people as being just like. Um, these these pure innocent people who have never done any wrong and the Japanese have just been like you know terrible yes the Japanese have been terrible like there's a lot of instances of that in this book but also Koreans were also hurting each other in their pursuit of taking care of themselves yeah I don't know so. the book definitely goes back to that kind of saying a lot which is like mm-hmm. well we have to stop the infighting like they keep implying right. that there's a lot of Korean infighting uh, I guess they get to that more with the communism influence versus like America is here too which you know that that led to a war so <laughs> um, the, 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 I don't know if this book will cover that I assume it will but uh, who knows um, but no it is it is fascinating too because I think objectively, as best as I could summarize it, like I think Japan is coming across as a pretty, you know, imperialistic, over over influential force. Like it's pretty negative. I think then the book holds up Hansu as kind of the ultimate kind of twist because he's Korean, but really has no, absolutely no. He just said it. I just read it. <laughs> has really no bias or preference for any place, country. It's just the, it's the, he worships the god of the economic grind, you know, the dollar. And so, mm-hmm. he is Korean, right? Did I, am I completely with yeah, him? He, okay, he, yeah, he grew I, up I in like, Jejido. Yeah, 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 no, I was like, man, if I misread that, it means that's significantly different. But no, yeah, to him, I think he is really her attempt to say, even though I don't think she can show Korea in a lot of, like, governmental control, they don't, like, get to counter-bomb Japan or anything like that. He is the book's example to show, like, the complexity and how there's a lot more going on than just Japan absolutely subjugating Korea. Um, right. I think he's right. the, the book's best attempt at that, where it's like, ah, yes, right. okay, we see that there's some there's some gray here, there's some real complex um, operators, so to speak. Right. Mm-hmm. Any other thoughts on that dynamic? It's it's one thing. None of our quotes really brought that up. Maybe I should. But there's some like ex- really explicit. Do you call it racism or it's it's maybe um eth- like oh god what's the word I'm looking for? I mean I guess it is a form of racism though it's not in the usual kind of like white binary we think of that as here in the states. Um, it's yeah I guess it's just prejudice right a lot of like prejudice so. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, <laughs> yeah the 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 kids that torment Noah, right, right, um, because he's first of all he's Korean, and then they make fun of him for smelling like kimchi. Like, yeah, that they, was such a man. Seeing that come up, um, 
uh, in another country other than the, the U.S. Because you know, I I have some friends now who are Korean that, that the whole kind of kimchi for lunch that prejudice against that kind of a thing is something I was only made aware of as an adult person. But like mm-hmm. seeing that, co- yeah, come up in a different time period. And do you think that's an anachronism on her part, or is that does that feel? I don't like because I saw that and I was like, well, that's like ripped from a 2022 lunchroom kind of a joke, you know? No, but, that's I mean, yeah, it totally makes sense. Like yeah. I, the cuisine is totally different. And and um, of course, they would pick up on food is such a, an important cultural identifier. Yeah. So Big in the book that's definitely exactly. And especially in times where food is scarce. So yeah, right. Of of course they would pick up on that, and of course they would use that to point out that that person is different and therefore lesser than they are. Yeah, like there's, and even now I don't, I don't want to get too heavy into like politics and stuff like that, but even now there's like still bigotry in both countries um, towards each other. Uh, but yeah, the Korean Japanese there's like a, a town of it, and there's like a whole documentary about the the racism that they have to endure and the schools that right. have Koreans in them and stuff. It's like, man, it's crazy. It's yeah. still it's still there. It's a dynamic I didn't know a ton about. So this book's been interesting in that regard for sure. You know, seeing I mean, granted, it's a lot of history's classic motifs playing out. So it's also very easy to understand, <laughs> like yeah. uh, subjugated people. <laughs> there's taxation issues. The land is going like it's I don't know they, that those trends, those kind of dynamics are easy to comprehend, even if I didn't know all about them. So mm-hmm. let's jump to some motifs. This is our other analytical kind of deep dive segment. So we've each chosen a motif from the first half that we think really matters and we just want to discuss it. Uh, I guess I've been going first. I'll keep going first. My motif is acceptance. And this is gets back at some style things that I pointed out earlier, which is just this book feels like a lot of the characters are just marching along, like accepting things that happen. So let's discuss a couple of them, see what your thoughts are here, too. Uh, a couple from the intro of the book. So when Hansu and Sunja have sex... Again, it's not a moment of real pleasure. I mean, it is for him, or at least it's strongly implied that it, or it's uh, hinted at implied that it is for him. But for her, it's more of a, I don't know, it just felt like a thing that kind of washed over her, right? It's its definitely, mm-hmm. would you call it consensual? I i would say yes, um, she, but in the way that she just wanted to please him. She was so grateful for his friendship and for his attention, and I think that she would be willing to do anything for him, so it was consensual in that way. Mm-hmm. But I think if, if given her druthers, she would have rather probably it's maintained yeah, it's clear purity. that it's clear <laughs> that they had very different of course like paths after right in, in terms of in the moment it's strange too it's also always difficult to apply consent conversations to these moments it's also how she wrote it too it's not like you know she could have written it how she wanted but it's it's definitely I, that combined with so then there's another this is a warmer type of acceptance but when Isaac comes to the house and they're they're full the boarding house they're full they have no room but they end up making do a lot of the characters in the story are very as you put it earlier kind of just like respectable or honorable they have this straightforward kind of helpfulness to them that also made that moment feel like well that could have been a more of a thing for the story to poke at or prod at that make it more uncomfortable but instead he's kind of just accepted right away like it's not there's there have been conflicts like this throughout where i'm like well this could have been a thing for the author to really like unravel but instead it's kind of just like well they're gonna keep on 
going, you know? Um, Kyungi mm-hmm. is another example when she, she just, like, welcomes Sunja, and obviously there's a, a gender dynamic there, too. She wants someone to connect with and, and is feeling lonely and everything. Her husband's um, very kind of strict and traditional. but And so also, she also just welcomes Sunja in, and it's like she wants to be best friends right away. She just immediately accepts this new uh, way to live. Even having a kid yeah. with them, too. Yeah. And, and yeah, Kyungi is like the other mom. She's just so grateful that there are kids, even if they're not biologically hers. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. So let's focus on then to, to kind of not wrap the motif up, but let's push against it a little bit. Some of the only moments then of non-acceptance. <laughs> one, the first one that really grabbed me, because again, until then, the story had been not humming along, but the characters had been dealing with things in such a like direct, clear, st- level-headed manner. The priest who is going to marry Isaac and, um, and Sunja, he really is the only person who introduces some discomfort into the beginning of the book. At least that's how I read it. Like everything yeah. else, I mean, the bullying was obviously terrible, but even that had kind of a safeness to it especially how quick it resolves and cleanly because Hans is just like the the boss man <laughs> the mm-hmm. tough dude but like how did you read that the kind of needling from the priest because he really do, he does not let it go he doesn't accept it right away he like really presses her to justify herself yeah and and it's <laughs> to justify herself and to also like weirdly try to push Christianity on her in a way. Oh yeah, I mean, like yeah. Y- you have to, you have to beg forgiveness for your sin, and she's like, "What is a sin?" <laughs> and I already asked Isaac for forgiveness. I don't know what you want from me. Like, um, but yeah, that uh, when Pastor Shin did that, um, that for me actually led me to um, my own motif, which was the, um, which is idealization right following your ideals and and your politics and your morals versus just survival instinct so isaac is all about ideals which is why he's like right. i'm going to marry this girl <laughs> and yeah, then, yeah. and pastor shin is like Mm, hold up <laughs> are pastor shin so. then and the god see the names i keep forgetting hansu there i was gonna say hunsa hansu are they the most pragmatic then are those our pillars of and they also i guess noteworthy for the themes they are the ones who i think kind of press conflict the the most aggressively like they're the ones who really will push things to, and not let them go without a clear kind of resolution or i don't know they like Maybe those two are the the practical people. Yeah, so uh, Hansu is a hundred percent the 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 most practical and the most like unapologetic for it. Um, Pastor Shin, the one who is marrying them, he's um, he's very practical, even though he's in a field where it should be more along the lines of what you would expect, like Isaac, right? So Isaac is like what you would expect a Christian preacher to be like or pastor to be like, which is all about the ideals, selfless, yeah, right. willing to sacrifice <laughs> yeah. and stuff like that. Well, I like yeah. that that scene sprinkled into some hints about they've been living kind of rough and that they're not very, they're comfortable, but it's not, they're not living that well. Maybe that grates on them more than you'd expect, obviously. And so... Yeah. Yeah, no, I think, yeah, that that moment just really kind of grabbed me. There were some others. I think that I'm good on that motif. That's what I wanted to explore. But um, there is sort of this idea that the book presents, I think, which is that if you 
forge ahead you can kind of accept things and things will maybe not work out for the best obviously again it's been pretty horrific for the especially the men so far um and yeah it's like hardening the women too i don't know but there there has been a way the characters have responded that's um there have been some moments when real kind of uneven catastrophe could have befallen them and they've kind of just dealt with it and kept things going level-headed is the word i used earlier i think that's the word i wanted to say again so yeah yeah, that's been that's been my motif i'll keep an eye out for other moments when characters have really uh intense disagreement and refuse to accept things as they are presented uh noteworthy um but basic how about for your motif uh yeah so mine is survival uh versus um idealism and politics and and morality Mm -hmm. and i i found actually the most um I was following mostly with the characters themselves where like Hansu and Isaac are like foils for each other where Hansu is the super pragmatic always gonna you know do what he thinks is gonna keep him and his alive mm-hmm. and Isaac um, he he's the opposite <laughs> um, he says right after he marries Sunja he's like you know what I need to put aside some of my ideals and I need to really focus on taking care of my family but he doesn't <laughs> yeah yeah and there's a huge time jump because do we see any of it's Noah what's the how did you pronounce his name mm-hmm. Noah the son yeah did you have it mm-hmm. I thought I feel like you pronounced it a different way earlier no, it's Noah Just and, and Mozatsu, which is the Japanese That's way of saying Moses. Okay, Moza- yeah. Mozatsu. That's the one I was looking for. Um, mm-hmm. There's a huge time jump because we don't even see Mozatsu six, I think, when we see him. And we don't get any of those six years. Isn't it six years? Or am I miscounting badly? Um, we see Mozatsu when he's um, a baby... And that's oh, okay. when Isaac is thrown in jail. When Isaac is oh, got back it. Okay. from jail, he's older. Yes. Yeah. So yeah, that's the time jump. Got it. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we were there for like Noah's birth, and then six years later is when Mozatsu is born. Um, but yeah, even so, when Isaac was thrown into jail, he could have denounced his faith so that he could come home. Right, because he wasn't actually the one caught saying the Lord's Prayer at the Emperor's thingamabob. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but he didn't, and and Yosef calls him out on that. He's like upset with Isaac when Isaac gets home. He's like, "Why didn't you just say, hey, um, this Christianity thing? Like, I denounce it. I'm fine. Like, you can send me home. I won't practice anymore." He's like, Yosef is like, you had a duty to your family. And Isaac's like, um, no, like I couldn't do it. <laughs> right, right. So he, he's, he's 100% the opposite of, of Hansu in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, even his brother Yosef, who is also Christian, um, and he says, yeah, it's important to keep your faith, but it's more important to keep your head when he when Isaac first gets there he's like keep your head out of the politics keep your head down go to work provide for your family that's the most important thing he's like if if I catch you doing any political things I'm I'm kicking you out right right so very strict right away exactly so Yosef he's got you know 
He was raised in the church, and he's got certain Christian ideas, but he's also very pragmatic. Well, um, there's kind of a direct pragmatism to poverty, too, that, like, in those early scenes when they arrive, and he says things like, you know, there's so many Koreans around, but you cannot trust anyone. You know, they may be Korean, but more importantly, they're poor. But I don't, he's, I'm not quoting literally, but that's essentially what he says, is, like, they're going to they're gonna beg and try and get things from you and steal. We've been robbed a couple times. And there is sort of this... Yeah, I don't know. That read, again, very neatly, but I was like, okay, yeah, I get, I get the environment we're in, where it's kind of, once you reduce a person to those conditions, there is a certain kind of baseline behavior that kicks in, for sure, where it's just kind of like, yeah. ah, yes, that's, these are the things to be on the lookout for, I guess, in this scenario, this world. And what's interesting, too, is, in particular with Yosef, he's fascinating because he's like, you know, survival is the most important thing. Taking care of your family is the most important thing. But he, like, has a weird pride thing and, like, a gender role thing where he just will not, even when they really need money, he is so upset at the idea of having Sunja and Kyunghee working. Yeah, like, right. He's like, no, a woman's place is at home, not at work. But... But then it goes against his idea of, like, the most important thing is, like, survival. And so it's just interesting that, and, and that's what makes him bitter in the end, right? It's like he's not the one who's helping them survive. It's the women who are doing it for him. Yeah, um, totally. So that's that that idealism versus survivalism as well that we see playing out in, in Yosef's mindset in a lot of ways. Yeah, and, um, I think... I do wonder what his, I don't know if role is the right way to phrase it, but what his, I don't know, what he'll come to like represent in the story. Because there's also moments too, obviously it's a time when there's patriarchal institutions and the the story kind of treats that as just a declared or observed fact. But he's such an interesting case because, like you said, it would benefit them immediately and enormously, and it does, to, to have the women working. And then also, there are other men around them who don't seem bothered by this at all, right? Like, Kim right. doesn't. And the, even, the, I noted this for later, but, like, the butcher, when she first goes to sell, he just kind of, like, nods cheerfully, gives her a little, you know, boost, and is like, all right, cool. Like, <laughs> we're all here working. Who gives a shit? Like, he doesn't seem perturbed. Right. And so right. it is, yeah, it's it's there might be a class element to it, too, but they all kind of came from the upper middle class and like his wife doesn't seem as bothered I, yeah it, it, it is an interesting dynamic it's definitely complex I, I do wonder what I'll mm -hmm. think of him by the end or by the time he like leaves the story yeah uh, yeah he's <laughs> he's not doing so hot right now um, no he yeah another, he may die <laughs> yeah um, another uh, foil set I guess is Noah and Mozatsu where Noah, even though he's the son of Hansu, he's actually more like Isaac. And Mozatsu, who's the son of Isaac, is more like Hansu. Yeah. So uh, that's going to be an interesting dynamic as well, where Noah is all about the ideals. He wants to be a, quote, good Korean in the eyes of the Japanese. Right. So that he can go back to Korea to teach them how to be better Koreans. Yeah. <laughs> it is his his duty to show to Koreans improve the country, what they can be. You know? Exactly. To improve uh, all the peoples. Exactly. Whereas Mozatsu is like, man, I don't like school. I just want to work so that my mom and Auntie Kyungi can, like, not work. <laughs> yeah, yeah. A noble goal in, in and of itself, I suppose, for sure. Exactly. 
You can do um, that as a scholar, can't you? I guess not. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, but uh, probably one thing that I noticed as well with um, the survival versus idealism is that those who are um, more about the ideals rather than survival, they're often depicted in a way that shows that they're like infantilized in a lot of ways Mm -hmm. so for example Sunja she's like showing a lot of growth throughout where she's getting more and more independent but in the beginning when she first is like in enraptured by Hansu and she's just all about him he she she he um he calls her his his girl oh like his, yeah there's his yeah. sweet little girl the quote i read earlier i think ends that way too he says oh, yeah it's very childlike girl. yeah my dear yeah. child i even even say yeah. child it's some does, yeah. also doesn't she call him the term for like dad or was that uh, uh, no opa which is older brother which is oh um, okay got it yeah it's a common common practice actually in korea for like you don't even have to be related but like um a close friend if he's if he's older than me i would call him oppa okay um also girlfriend boyfriend like you call your boyfriend oppa oh same term (laughs) got it yeah okay yeah but appa is the dad is dad Hmm. daddy um well i'm glad i got that cleared up that would have been a (laughs) those are two very different ways to to approach it yeah (laughs) um so yeah, so um, so Sunja is is often infantilized, but so is Isaac. Isaac is often depicted as very childish and childlike. There are several adjectives that are being used for him to that seem like he's a child, and so that's when they're very um, they're all about their feelings, their emotions, and about like picturing this perfect forever after where Sunja imagines like she's pregnant so now Hansu's gonna marry her and they're gonna live happily ever after but right. then once once Sunja realizes that that's not gonna be a reality she goes into full survival mode and she loses that I guess innocence and so that she's no longer described in a way that shows shows her as being childish she has become an adult and it's very much an adult attitude and the way that she's described when even when she like realizes when she sees Hansu in the farm um later she's like she realizes that she's lost her youth and nobody's gonna find her attractive yeah that's a big part of it too she reflects on that for a while exactly and that's that's another thing where it's like the idealism is some I think that the idealism is shown as like you're you're being childish you're not dealing with what's in front of you whereas everybody who's survival minded they are never depicted as being childish or childlike yeah she is an interesting yeah i i've always i've read her as in the survivalist portion of the story so far for sure because she doesn't have any she doesn't really have any moments where she wavers now we'll see though with hansu because now that her husband is dead I don't know. There, there's. Uh, he wants to be in his son's life, obviously, and that's a big component to the story. But I do wonder with him what will become of those two. I don't know if they'll get back together. If that's even a, you know, thematic, coherent thing to have happened. Maybe it is. But she is. Yeah, she thinks of herself very differently. And but she's kind of. She's been resolute the whole time, right? She never really like significantly wavered on anything. 
even right. even like the watch scene I thought was really pivotal for her because it's you know it shows her, not only her kind of craftiness and she's been in the markets and all that but also it does show that like she will meet the world with a certain uh, even if it's feigned a certain I don't know up up uprightness is that a word <laughs> straightforwardness yeah. whatever um, mm-hmm. sturdiness sturdy very sturdy character uh, yeah. cool uh, any other thoughts on the motifs either of them excellent okay. final segment then we're keeping the lists folks we know you love them <laughs> we know the internet <laughs> loves the list so we're going to end with our book club part one with the same segment as we always have and always will probably which is creating a top three list of something i created this list this week and it's top three food moments i if i will say this if this was not going to be the list we did it would have been my motif because it's this book is i don't know if it's food rich but obviously as you mentioned at the beginning in a time of no food uh, food becomes a very noteworthy thing and a very like significant marker of many, many different storytelling th- things. And so I think food, top three food moments really is an easy one to pick here. Do you want to go first? Oh, sure. Um, I chose uh, the scene where Yang Jin, who is um, Sun Jia's mom, after Sun Jia and Isaac get married, she goes to pick up some white rice um and she has to practically beg the vendor this was my number one oh really yeah yeah the (laughs) rice for the wedding that's why i did the intro that way what'd you think of it um i i it was such a heartbreaking scene for something that is just so common nowadays yeah like i mean i have rice uh, if uh, at least once every like two or three days (laughs) like i can't yeah you're right right it's um so it was just really heartbreaking and it's all over like just some white rice which is tastier than the barley rice that was being used um back then in and it was a sign of wealth at that time and he's like not wanting to give it to her because he has to sell it all to the Japanese. Right. And it's like right. man they're they're not just, you know, taking the food that was also like symbolic of like a prosperous union yeah you know? yeah it is a prosperity and, thing yeah so it was it was taking away from tradition as well a korean tradition and it was just like oh man and when her tears were coming and so she's like begging she's got the money right there and yeah. it's just so sad and th- there was so some sad. there was some awkward kind of misogyny to that too he was i forgot what it was i could pull the quote but I'm just too tired to pull quotes at this juncture, <laughs> but there is some kind of, he does, he does probably prod her a bit more than he needed to. And like really wants her to justify it. He even, when the conversation ends, I remember he says something like, bring me some, or, you know, he's like, well, make sure I get a bite or you bring me a rice cake or whatever he says. So there is some kind yeah. of, not, I guess not a privilege to that, but it's sort of a, um, a, yeah, irritating kind of misogyny to it. And, uh, I guess he could line up with the other practical folks who just need to make their businesses work. But no, that was my number one just because it, yeah, that was the takeaway for me as well that you articulated perfectly, which is just, this is like the most forgettable food of our current world. It's like the most, mm-hmm. it's the thing I would assume would always be available. <laughs> like if right. no matter what runs out on the store shelves, like having any form of rice, I mean, I, yeah, white rice, but any of those box rices, brand rice, get a 10 pound bag of rice, go to the G Mart and load you know whatever it's like it's the mm-hmm. food i would always associate with like being around <laughs> so yeah um anyway yeah no that that's why i chose that one a, a very worthy pick um my number three is 
when they couldn't afford meat and she tells him to take it back uh i will admit that this yeah. has happened to me i thought this was very relatable i mean i was obviously is reflects their situation quite well and also their kind of humility in her kyungi it's a good little character moment for her but like the, when this happens to me it's not because of want or it's because i can't pay my bills but this happens to me when like i misread a coupon or i misread a like discount and so when I get to the checkout, I'm like, wait a second, I thought that was discounted. And then I figure out like, oh, that wasn't. So many of those times I just want to go take it back then. <laughs> it's like, well, mm-hmm. you know, I thought this was $4 and it's 12 Like, you can just have it. Now, I normally don't because I am uh, much more privileged than the characters in this book. And I can just yeah. eat the cost and be like, well, that was a ripoff. My bad. I should have read that more carefully. But it, it was just a very relatable little moment of like, I've definitely wanted to just walk away from a grocery store bag where it's like, man, that's... Uh, I thought that was on sale and it wasn't, and now I don't want this chicken, but I guess I'm buying it anyway. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, it, and and it was also um, an act of kindness too. To we talked about it before, like how uh, the Japanese aren't necessarily like yeah they they've done terrible things, but they're not necessarily like villainized per se in the book. Right. And yeah. this is a, an, an example of how like this Japanese character who is on the lowest rung of the Japanese hierarchical ladder there because he works directly with meat, which is a Buddhist thing. Oh um, yeah, yeah. Right. They mentioned so, that. Yeah. So he's, he's the lowest of the low and he's like, well, I'm not as low as a Korean. He makes a comment like in his mind that he's not as low as a Korean, but he shows kindness to Kyungi. He thinks she's cute. But also, yes, it's that like comes some, up a lot too. I'm, I'm not sure yeah. how to read the Kim. We didn't talk about this in our analysis, but the development recently with Kim kind of being attracted to her more than we would have known, and I don't. Yeah, I'll, I'll withhold my thoughts until that plays out. But that has come up. <laughs> I'll just say that I guess it's come up a lot. That like, yeah, she's beautiful, and that definitely uh, affects the way people treat her. Um. Also, you know, I've made uh, I've made stock out of bones, never a soup. But, you know, stock basically is soup. You just put stuff in it. I mean, come on. <laughs> it's a simple oh, version, yeah. but delicious. You know, what can you do? Solongtang is one of my favorite soups. So The one that she made? Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. The oxbone I didn't, soup. Yeah, I didn't even remember the name, but yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, it's oh, so good. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> for a, a taste for another time, then we'll have to make it. Um, <laughs> yeah. How about for your number two? My number two was um, when she, when Yang Jin, her Sunja's mother, is brought to Japan by Hansu, mm-hmm. and um, Sunja shares a memory of digging up uh, potatoes because Yang Jin and um, oh man, I forgot what her dad's name was. I did too. Um, I mean, he's really not in it for for long, but yeah, yeah. Yeah, he so he kept a garden and he had potatoes and she remembers as a little girl, her father died when she was fairly young. Um, she remembers digging up the potatoes and she describes how sweet and tender and the flesh was white and it was all so tasty. And she, and I just uh, I really enjoyed that scene because her mom realizes in that moment that Sunja is still uh, in, in her inner recesses there. She's still the same little girl that she raised. Yeah. She's not some hard-hearted person who's who's hell-bent on, like, just survival. She's still got some 
sensitivity in there. Mm-hmm. And also, she appre- Young Jin appreciates that Sunja remembers her father, and that her father and she had these memories together that that Sunja could could go back to um, and remember very sweetly about her father. That is nice too. I I wouldn't have picked that moment. I kind of forgot that that happened until you described it. But no, that is his his memory does not permeate the book maybe as much as I would have thought. But it, you know, critical to getting things started, and obviously Sinja's whole existence is like, <laughs> yeah, heavily dependent on that. So yeah, that's a good one. My number two is related to your number one, though different moments. I did really love the moment when Sunja just goes off to sell their kimchi and is determined to do so and like forces herself to stay in the market, even though it's really awkward. I like the moment mm-hmm. when she shares with the butcher and doesn't he like give her like a bite of rice and they eat some with rice? Doesn't he kind of like, yeah. yeah, they just have like a little nibble, but I, I like that. It, you know, it builds confidence. It shows solidarity in the, between these workers. And like, even though they can't really communicate, he's just like, yeah, I'll fucking, I'll smile and like eat a bit of rice and kimchi. It's one of life's great, <laughs> it's like one of life's great food pairings, you know? And he's just like being cheerful about it. Um, yeah, I was charmed by that moment. Yeah, and, and it was nice, too, because she didn't know how to call out right. in Japanese. And he gives her he says like oh it's so tasty but in like japanese and she could understand that that's what he was saying yeah so he gave her the phrase that she could yell at the customers to get customers Mm -hmm. too so it was really nice that he was so helpful yeah yeah it was a it was a nice little human very human moment and yeah Yeah. who doesn't just imagine just wrapping putting some kimchi or uh, some rice on a fork and stabbing some kimchi nothing Mm -hmm. more pure than that pleasure that's one of the great food combos so I was trying good. to, if I was, you have like a nice egg on top. Mm. Yeah, I was trying to explain <laughs> to my mom the kind of uses and appeals for kimchi, um, and I think I got her on board partially with it. We've I've definitely had it with her before certain places. I think we even bought a jar from the grocer once and just was kind of like, check this out, mom. But it is I, I'm not quite to your level. Uh, as I only pair it with certain things, like I, I really love it with certain things, but I'm not the diehard, like I can eat it with any food. <laughs> and I know that your commitment level is much higher, uh, respect. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, my, my love of kimchi is, um, it's like deep, but narrow. It's like with certain things, I think it's perfect. And then other times I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm good. But you know. <laughs> I also just love hot sauces too. Maybe that influences me. I, I mm. really, to me, it's just that since I'm um, coming very late in life to, uh, shoot, don't say the names. I'll try and get them. The, it's the, it's the pepper. It's like derived from, um, mm-hmm. oh God, I'm already forgetting, but like that peppers flavor and kind of its pungentness and it's, um, it's sort of like not acidity, but uh, it's gochujang, right? And then gochugaru is the yep. pe- yeah. Those are late yep. in life flavors to me, and so there again, there are certain things where I'm like, this is just the perfect flavor. But I'm not a if I've got a plain eggs on toast, I'm not reaching for that flavor. But other times I am. So it's yeah. Do you want to hit the listeners with your favorite uh, applications of kimchi? <laughs> Give them a little, oh, little preview or, you know, a little recommendation. <laughs> Anytime that I have meat, yes. I want kimchi with it. Okay. Yeah. And anytime that I have rice, I want kimchi with it. Yeah. So yeah. It's like 
every day I want to eat kimchi. Essentially. It is. Yeah, it, I could see it, too. I mean, if you're eating it to me, the meat thing is the interesting one, because obviously to a Korean barbecue or with a lot of different types of meats, it's perfect. And then others, I'm just like, I can't even imagine it. But the, again, it really depends, though. It, it heavily swings. Um, meat mm-hmm. can just it's got such preparations. Rice to me is the big one. Yeah. If if you're not doing anything with that rice, um, well, let's get some kimchi with it. Like, what are we doing? If oh, it's yeah. plain rice, I mean, what the hell? <laughs> Even uh, I really like fried rice and then kimchi, you know, just kind of put it over mm-hmm. the top. You can cook it into it. This has turned into a food podcast quickly. So how it gets away from me. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm open to it if that's where we're, if that's the direction we're going in. So yeah, Love it. Love it. Um, and then, so my number one, I said, but your number one for food moments? Um, related to yours is uh, the smell of kimchi as it perforates the home. Yeah. And the clothes. So when Noah goes to school and they start tormenting him and calling him names and like, what was it? Garlic, garlic shit. Something, or something like, like that. that. Yeah. 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 Um, like that was just heartbreaking. And it also leads into Noah's kind of like distaste for his own culture. And he right. wants to be more Japanese. Like he, he only wants to bring Japanese food. He only wants to yeah. impress the Japanese. He wants to improve Koreans to be more like the Japanese, like stuff like that. Um, so that, that shame with the culture that came from the food that then turns his whole like psyche. Like I thought that was a really important yeah, I guess Noah's food. Character. I guess food doesn't have to be the great uniter and pleasure giver. It can also be the tormentor, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, the, the shame be. marker. Um, no, yeah, that is true. It's a very like I we talked about this earlier, but it's kind of it just felt so weirdly modern to me. But I guess yeah. you know, immigrant cross cultural food combinations. It's uh, a bit of a timeless thing, really, or at least yeah, you know, time timely. No, it's a really well chosen one. At least, at least there's joyful kimchi. You know, at least I found the, the joy in the kimchi, and you found the sorrow <laughs> and the struggle. Yep, any other yep. any other food moments? It's really been rich with food so far. Like it's, it really has been. Yeah. Like there's the the Kirby house yeah. that she ends up working for, which is a mob front. Of course, uh. yeah, yeah. And she's on a mob salary and doesn't know it. Another yeah. another moment we didn't get to discuss too in depth, but it's extremely significant that he's yeah he's the puppet master. So to, in a crude analogy, um, yeah. yeah, interesting. Okay, well, mm-hmm. this was about a million times more enjoyable for me. <laughs> <laughs> so I prefer to talk about a book. I didn't have to do any, you know, two minute long summaries. So win for us, I suppose. Yeah. Um, yeah. Any final thoughts before we wrap up today's podcast on Pachinko by Min Jin Lee? Uh, nope, I'm good. Excellent. Well, if you enjoyed part one, make sure you tune in next week for part two. And if you're listening to this in the far flung future, then part two is already posted. So you can go check that out in the feed. It'll be up there for uh, forever, presumably. Cross our fingers. Um, and no, oh yeah, you said no final thoughts on the first half. Enjoyable so far. Uh, loving it so far. Yeah, I, I'm. I'll be in the like camp then. You love. I, I think I like. I enjoy this so far. I think it's very yeah. solid. Um, I'm, I'm digging it. I'm curious about the adaptation too. Very, Me too. very curious. But 
yeah, we'll see what they decide to include and not. Um, excellent. Uh, follow us on Instagram and Facebook, dear listeners. As always, we will appeal to that for that. We are at the Lightly Literary Podcast, which is all one word, so check us out there. We also appreciate any reviews you give us on any podcast platform wherever you're listening to this would do, unless it's directly on our website, which I never mentioned, so I don't know how you found that, if you did. <laughs> but anyway, Spotify, <laughs> iTunes, Google Play Store, we're up on all those. I'm sure a couple others I even forgot we post to. So yeah, any ratings and recommendations are helpful. Uh, we appreciate you listening through the whole episode, as ever. And until next time, we'll see you between the pages.